0: How appropriate to sing those last words there. That we would be chosen precious children of our Father. Uh, it seems a, even an appropriate Mother's Day song as well. I want to uh Jeff was just praying briefly there for reaching our neighbors and, and for the opportunities we have to live out life as God's children. And I thought what a what a privilege it is that God, who is our first and perfect parent, gives each of his children the opportunity to serve as mothers and fathers in his kingdom. Each of us, as we love our neighbors, as we serve the children uh, here in our church, as we serve one another, as we minister God's grace in daily conversation, we become spiritual moms and dads still as we serve. In that way, I earnestly desire to love you as my own children this morning, as I share God's word with you. So on this Mother's Day, while I confess that I know very little about women's fashion. I'm here this morning to talk about what was all the rave in ancient Israelite men's fashion. Please turn with me, if you would, to page 44 in Church Bibles. We're going to be looking at God's instructions for the high priest's clothing in Exodus chapter 28. To offer some brief context while you turn to Exodus 28, God's chosen leader, Moses, has led the people of Israel out of Egypt, the land of slavery. And Egypt is now encamped at Mount Sinai. That's our priest we're going to be looking at in just a moment. Where God is giving Moses at Mount Sinai the regulations for his newly freed people. In the past several chapters, we've been examining the tabernacle. That's the place where God himself would dwell and the furnishings therein. Today, God gives direction for dressing the high priest, who is the chief servant in God's house. Now, despite the instructions that God gives here at length in Exodus 28, no one today knows exactly what the prince priestly garments looked like. However, I found this example on the Internet that I thought was especially faithful to the text. And so uh, while we read the text today, which I'll be reading in a number of sections, uh, I, I have a number of visuals here that hopefully will help you at least get a sense for what it might have looked like. So let's dive right in. We're going to begin with the overview that God gives... In Exodus 28, verses 1 through 5. This is the first point on your outline as well. Exodus 28. Then bring near to you, that is Moses, Aaron your brother and his sons with him, from among the people of Israel, to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful, whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his two sons to serve me as priests. I'm sorry, his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. Pause there. The first thing we see here is that God chooses Moses' brother Aaron, along with Aaron's sons, to serve as the priests. But then, almost the entirety of the rest of this chapter that we're going to look at is devoted to what these men wear. Now, at first, that might surprise us. Doesn't that seem excessive? Why focus so much on clothing? Shouldn't we focus on something more spiritual? Well, friends, the reason is because, the reason that God focuses so much on clothing is because clothing matters to God. It actually is a, is a significant theme throughout the scriptures, and it's easy to miss if you're not thinking about it. For example, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve try to clothe themselves with fig leaves, but that clothing is insufficient, and so God clothes them instead with animal skins. Why? Because clothing matters to God. And then later, Jesus tells the story of a wedding feast in Matthew 22, in which a man shows up without appropriate clothing, and so he's cast into the outer outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why was he cast out? Because he didn't have the right clothing. Clothing matters. Furthermore, the glorified Jesus of Revelation is, is, is described as wearing a long robe with a golden sash. In light of the fact that his voice was like a rush of many waters, and there was a sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth, those things are very worthy of description. We might find it surprising that we find out what he's wearing. There's, there doesn't seem anything spectacular about it. It's not a sword coming from your mouth. So why focus on the clothing? It's because clothing matters to God. And here in Exodus 28, God gives many detailed descriptions of the priest's clothing for the same reason, because clothing matters to God. So why is this? Well, we're told right there in verse 2, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. Okay, so the word glory means weighty. It means this thing is important. And beauty refers to that which is attractive or desirable. The more beautiful something is, the more we want it. Thus, is it not appropriate that him whose role is to stand between God and man might by his very clothing tell us of the infinite importance, the glory, and the supreme desirability, the beauty of God. And what's remarkable is that it's more than that. Because the high priest's responsibility is not just from God, I'm sorry, from man to God, but from God to man. That is, when God sees Aaron's clothing, he would be reminded of the glory and the beauty of his people. That's because the high priest and his holy garments are, are, are not just us looking at God and saying, Behold, the beauty and the, and the, and the worth and the glory. But there's God looking down at us and saying, You are worth something to me. You are beautiful to me. You are desirable to me. That's remarkable how wonderful and shocking that is. Because apart from the high priest and those garments, I definitely do not can think I do not think of myself, and most of us probably do not think of ourselves as glorious and beautiful. Sure, there are times when we do well, but the scriptures and our own experience confirm that even in our best moments, we fall far short of the glory and the beauty of God. Yes, we may dress well on the outside, and you are a mighty attractive lot out there this morning, but if people saw our inmost thoughts, if they saw our anger, our judgment, our lust, our selfishness, Well, we wouldn't get invited to many balls if we were wearing that on the outside. Yet, if we have an appropriately dressed high priest interceding for us, effectively clothing us through his intercession, representing us before God, then we will rightly be called both glorious and beautiful. Now, though there is much more to cover in this chapter, I'm going to state our main application right now. Because I don't want you guys to miss it, and we're going to refer back to this all throughout the sermon. And I say application because there are no imperatives for you in this text. There's nothing that God says you must do as God's people as a result of this text. However, this text is a resounding, powerful, and persistent cry that you need an appropriately dressed high priest. So, who is your high priest? And is he appropriately dressed? Unfortunately, you are not allowed to choose Aaron as your option, because Aaron, in just a few more chapters, he is himself going to cause Israel to turn away from the true God to a statue of a cow. Okay? And not long thereafter, Nadab and Abihu, his first two sons, fail to follow God's commands, and so God destroys them. So the the high priestly line so far, not looking so hot. None of these men understood the seriousness of their responsibility both before God and before men. But the scriptures do tell us that there is one man who is himself both God and man who became our perfect and great high priest. Jesus Christ clothed with glory and beauty in turn clothes us with his own perfections such that for all who trust in his death for us in our place, God looks at us and sees beauty, sees glory, sees appropriately, uh, appropriately dressed people before God. God looks at us and just sees Jesus. And that's a beautiful truth. So do you joyfully accept Jesus as your appropriately dressed high priest? That's the key question, the most important question I have for all of you this morning. Do you joyfully accept Jesus as your appropriately dressed high priest. Now the rest of this chapter goes into more detailed descriptions of each part of the high priest's clothing. and we're going to take a look at each of them. and we're going to see what can we discern about why each one of these parts is a necessary part of the high priest's garb. Okay, so we're going to now read the next section, the ephod for remembrance. I'll direct you up to the screen because there are a number of parts here that are a little hard to figure out what is it talking about. I think, we, uh, I think this will help you. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 14. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and a fine twisted linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and shall be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and the two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Here we see the assembly of the ephod with particular focus given to the two stones that sit on Aaron's shoulders. They're described twice in verse 12 as being for remembrance. But remembrance of what and for whom? Well, what is engraved on those stones? On them are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six on one and six on the other. These 12 tribes represent the entirety of God's people, just as we might say that the worldwide church represents the entirety of God's people today. And the fact that they are engraved is noteworthy as well, because if the names of God's people were merely written on them, then they could also be wiped away or blotted out. But because they're engraved, we know that it's permanent. And that's the point of the remembrance, friends. These engraved stones are a reminder that these are God's people and always will be God's people. God's people will never be forgotten, even in times when it may feel like they are. And that should be extremely comforting to us. However, the remembrance is not primarily for us in this case. Consider the placement of the stones. How easily could Aaron see the names of the stones on his shoulders. If you if you had something written on your shoulders, could you could you read it? No, probably not. The metaphor here is that any time God were to come down to see his people and destroy them because of the sin that they have, he would see these stones. He would remember. And he would remember, these are my people. These are engraved. These are never going away. They will forever be my people. I will not destroy them. And he would turn away his wrath. That's the primary point of the remembrance. If we have an appropriately dressed high priest, these stones avert God's wrath. And this is this not what the great high priest, Jesus Christ, effectively does for us. The book of Ephesians tells us that we were objects of wrath and dead in our sins. We were worthy of God's righteous judgment. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together in Christ. He wears our names right here. And God remembers them always. So do you call Jesus Christ Christ? your great high priest. If not, who offers you this kind of assurance? Who stands before the throne of God forever bearing the scars that showed his love for us in his hands, in his feet, reminding all in heaven's throne room that we are God's people. Everyone sees it. Everyone can know it. Praise God. For the ephod. Praise God for these stones that remind God himself of his people. Praise God that they're situated as part of an appropriately dressed high priest clothing. And praise God for Jesus Christ, our great high priest himself. Let's look at the next piece of the high priest clothing, the breast piece for judgment. This is verses 15 through 30. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and it span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a roll of sardius, topaz and carbuncle should be the first row. And the second row is an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond and a third row, a jacinth, an agate and an amethyst and the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names, according to the twelve sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edge of the breastpiece. The two ends of the gold, the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree. And so attach it to the front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and place them at the two ends of the breast piece on the inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall take two rings of gold and attach them to the front, in front, to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band on the ephod so the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. Now, I know it's a lot of detail, but listen to this. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Okay, there's a lot there. Let's see if we can break it down. There are several things worth noting here about this very unique part of the high priest's clothing. First is that like the shoulder pieces of the ephod, the breast piece features stones engraved with the names of Israel, this time one name per stone. They were all the beautiful, highly valuable stones as well. Also, like the shoulder stones, verse 29 tells us that they are there to be brought to regular remembrance before the Lord any time the high priest enters God's presence in the holy place. Okay, so we already talked about some of that with the ephod itself. A second thing to notice is that the breast piece is square and doubled. Okay, so picture a rectangle such that when you fold it over like this, it becomes a square. And so it forms something of a a pouch. And then the the stones all get lined up there, and there's, there's kind of a hole right in here. And that is where the Urim and the Thummim are placed. Now, we know terribly little about the Urim and the Thummim. We don't even bother translating them to another word because we're not quite sure what they are. So we just use the Hebrew words, Urim and Thummim. What we can gather, however, from the context of various passages is that they were useful in decision making. The idea was that by using these two items, God would render decisions and thereby make his will known. And that appears to be the reason that this part of the high priest's clothing is called the breastpiece for judgment. Now, unfortunately, we associate the word judgment with condemnation. You know, if someone says, you're judging me, what they mean is you're a really terrible person and you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. But that's not what judgment means here. Rather, in regard to the urim and the thummim, it's referring to making decisions. Judgment here means what... Um, well, what we would hopefully mean when we talk about what a judge does, we don't think of a judge as just bringing condemnation. We think of a judge as discerning what is the right thing and what is the wrong thing and making decisions. That's the sense in which judgment is meant here. And so a role of the high priest and the role of this breast piece in particular is to render God's decisions. Additionally, the last sentence we read tells us that Aaron shall bear the judgment of Israel, the decisions of Israel before the Lord regularly. And so the high priest, again, was not just representing the Lord's decisions to his people, but in some form, the people's decisions to the Lord. He is, again, serving as a mediator. Now, what exactly that looks like is not elaborated upon here. But what is clear is that, once again, the role of the high priest is that of a mediator, faithfully and regularly interceding between God and man. And that brings us to the last critical aspect of the breast piece that we're going to cover here. The breast piece was carefully secured to the ephod, which meant that the breast piece would be kept on Aaron's heart. Three times in this passage, we're reminded of that, that it's be placed on Aaron's heart. This means very much the same thing it would mean if I were to talk about someone being on my heart. Right? So if I tell you that my children are on my heart, you would assume many things about what I mean by that, and rightly so. You would assume that I love them, that I think of them regularly, that I pray for them, that I speak on their behalf, that I desire to be with them, and so on. Right? That's what it means to have someone on your heart. And so here, represented by the physical placement of the breast piece and the twelve stones, Aaron's role is to love Israel. He is to represent Israel before God. Aaron is functionally holding his church directory right here. That's part of his job. How critical that role is. Do do any of us want someone representing us who does not love us and think of us and pray for us and speak up for us and, and so on? This, in fact, is why the elders of the church... Whenever we meet, we ask one another, where do we see God at work? We we, we look around the church and we say, God is clearly working in our people. Where do we see that? And we spend a full half of our time together every month when we meet praising God for you and praying for you and seeking ways to serve you and and even weeping with you in your pain and in your loss. We're keeping our church directory. We're keeping you right here. How much more does Jesus, the perfect pastor, the first elder, the great high priest, do for you? As Hebrews 4 tells us, we have a high priest who sympathizes sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, one who offers us mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's what Jesus offers us. That is what the breastpiece of an appropriately dressed, High Priest does for us. There's a couple more articles of clothing here to go through. Let's look at verses 31 through 35. Again, I'll direct your attention to the screen. This is the robe for life. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening of a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. The robe of the ephod is not complicated. It's blue, and has an opening in the top, where the head go through, and it has a series of bells and pomegranates along its hem. Its purpose, however, far exceeds its material complexity. Verse 35 says that Aaron must wear this anytime he goes into the holy place so that he does not die. Did you catch that? He must wear this so that he does not die. That is, this part of the high priest's attire is not for others. It's for himself. If he fails to wear this during his active ministry, God will kill him. Okay, now I've been to churches where if you don't wear a tie, they'll kill you. Okay, but 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 this, this is far worse. This, friends, is a potent reminder that the high priest himself is a sinner. He himself cannot come before God without appropriate clothing. Now contrast this with our great high priest, Jesus Christ. I already mentioned this earlier. In Revelation, Jesus is pictured wearing a long robe also. It's not described further in that passage, so we can't be certain if it was meant to be this high priest's robe or not. But you know what? I don't think it matters. Perhaps that's intentionally why it wasn't described. It doesn't matter if it was the high priest's robe or not, because Jesus Christ has no need of such a robe. He lived a perfect life, never once, tainted by sin. And because of that, the resurrected Christ is not subject to death, but rather death is subject to him. And one day soon he will utterly destroy death itself so that we will never again experience death nor face the loss of a loved one. So an appropriately dressed high priest needed this robe for life. How wonderful it is that our great high priest, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of life himself. Let's look at the next section, the turban for acceptance, verses 36 through 39. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel, uh, sorry, of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, so that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checkerwork of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. Here we see several more garments of note, a coat, a turban, and a sash. The turban is by far the most noteworthy, however, because of this golden plate attached to its front that... Uh, is engraved with holy to the Lord, and it's worn on Aaron's forehead. As we saw with the shoulder stones, the placement of the plate on Aaron's forehead tells us that it's not for him to see, but for others. When others, including God himself, would see Aaron, they would constantly read words that effectually declared, this one is set apart for God. This one is special. Now, notice the remarkable purpose given for this golden plate. Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things. Aaron would bear guilt for the holy things. Now, I can understand that the high priest would bear guilt from any unholy things, but those things, you know, because those things have guilt written all over them. They're unholy. But that's not what this plate on the turban is for. It's for the holy things that the people of Israelite consecrate as their holy gifts. And the verse goes on. This plate on the turban shall regularly be on Aaron's forehead so that Israel's holy gifts may be accepted before the Lord. Friends, there is an amazing truth about the nature of God and man tucked away in this tiny section about a small piece of gold. It's that apart from an, an appropriately dressed high priest, even the holy gifts of God are unacceptable. If the high priest is not appropriately dressed, even in our, even our holiest offerings, our most righteous actions, our purest labors, would, they'd all be in vain, for they would not be acceptable before God. But if God's people have an appropriately dressed high priest, one who bears holy to the Lord on his forehead, then we can be accepted. And if it is true of you, if you have made Jesus Christ your high priest, he is the, the he, he is the supreme holy one of God, right? As a fact declared by his disciples in Acts 3 and by demons in Mark 1, because of him we can know that our offerings, actions, and all our labors done in his name are acceptable. Therefore, as Paul writes to the followers of Jesus in Corinth, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's what the turban and his golden plate tell us. Let's conclude our text here by looking at these statutes that are meant to be for all time. For Aaron's sons... For his sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. This final section of our text broadens the scope from the high priest and also includes other priests who serve alongside the high priest. Their clothing, while not in equivalent in form or function to the high priest, is nonetheless made for glory and beauty, as we discussed earlier. Also, Israel is instructed to anoint, ordain, and consecrate these priests, which is the subject of the next chapter that we're going to cover next week. This chapter then concludes, and this one is for all you children out there and you children at heart, with priestly underpants. As we might expect, however... These underpants are incredibly important. They're special. The text says that if these priests aren't wearing their special underpants, they will die. That's the rule for Aaron and for his children for all time. That's what the text says. Now, in my house, if someone is not wearing the proper underpants, we tell them to go back to the room and they cannot come down until they're wearing appropriate underpants. In God's house if you're wearing inappropriate underpants, you die. Am I not merciful? (laughs) Why is that? Why is it so important that the high priest and his family follow such a strict dress code, including a part that no one can see but God, because they're underneath, forever? Why is it so important? Thankfully, the text tells us, According to the last verse, these underpants shall be on Aaron and on his sons. Why? So that they don't bear guilt and die. And so the last words of this chapter bring us right back to the beginning of the chapter. Back in verse one, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother and his sons with him from among the priests of Israel. And here's why to serve me as priests. See, friends, the reason that God created the role of priests, the reason we have all these fancy garments, even down to the underpants that only God can see, is because without an appropriately dressed priesthood, and an appropriately dressed high priest in particular, we would remain forever in our guilt, forever separated from God, without any hope whatsoever of things ever changing. The only option we'd have is to bear guilt and die. That would be the only option. That's why we need an appropriately dressed high priest. But really, we need even more than that. Consider the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Really, Paul? Could it really be that there is no one worthy to stand before God, not even one? Well, it's true. He's right. It's testified to us biblically and experientially. And it's even worse than it first sounds because priests are included in that. Aaron and all his sons are sinners too. They're lawbreakers. In just a few more weeks here, we'll see that there's some of the worst of sinners in Israel. So we need more than a priest, because the priests are sinners like us. What we ultimately need is more than even priestly clothing, because priestly clothing, without a right relationship with God, are just really fancy clothes. And that's it. What we need is a perfect priest. What we need is a perfect mediator between God and man. What we need, friends, is Jesus Christ. And so let me give the final words this morning to the author of the book of Hebrews, who has contemplated this very idea and recorded it for us forever in Scripture. Here's what he says. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest as Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like the former high priest, to offer sacrifices daily First for his own sins and then for the rest of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word from God, which came later than the law, appoints a son, Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. Who is your appropriately dressed high priest? Let's pray. Our great, holy, and perfect God, thank you for this beautiful text on what it looks like to have an appropriately dressed high priest. Your words to us this morning confirm the truth that these clothes truly are for glory and for beauty. Thank you for the ephod and its stones that bring us to constant remembrance before you. Thank you for the breastpiece, which reminds us that we need a mediator between you and us. Thank you for keeping your church on your heart, even as the breastpiece and all your people are kept. On the high priest's heart. Thank you, God, for the robe that reminds us that even priests are fallible. Thank you for the turban and its golden plates that remind us that holy things are even fallible. God, you have made it abundantly clear, even through priestly clothing, that we need a perfect high priest, a perfect mediator, a perfect savior. And so we praise you, God, for providing all of that in one person, your son, Jesus Christ. For those of us here, God, who know and love Christ here today, God, would you cause this passage to deepen our knowledge and love for him still further? And for anyone here who does not have Jesus as their high priest, God, draw them to yourself. I beg you, show them their need and give them the mediator that their hearts need and long for. Clothe us all appropriately, God, in Christ, that he would be forever glorified and that we would be forever secure in our relationship with you. We ask all this in the perfect name of Christ. Amen.